Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a heads up. About two thirds of the way through this episode, the audio changes and is a bit harder to hear. We apologize in advance. Welcome to Tea and Murder, an Agatha Christie podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Tendy-Norman. We are part book club, part interview show, all Agatha Christie. And uh, I am here today with Ragnar Jonasson, uh, who is an award-winning and international best-selling Icelandic author of crime fiction. His books have been sold in over 4 million copies in 35 countries. And his book, The Darkness, will start filming as a TV series later this year. Before writing crime novels, Ragnar translated 14 Agatha Christie books into Icelandic starting at the age of 17. Welcome, Ragnar. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. So uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship to Agatha Christie's work. When did you start reading her? Uh, So I started reading Agatha Christie uh, probably around the age of 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was introduced to her work by uh, by my cousin who had, had... he had already read a few books, and and he read, I think, the murder of Roger Ackroyd, and mm-hmm. he was so, impre- you know, impressed by that book. He he told me I should try and uh, read some of her books, and and the first one I did read was Evil Under the Sun, I remember, and I absolutely loved that one, and uh, and then, you know, basically what happened is I I I just went. To every library in, in in Reykjavik that I could find, and and just picked up one Christie book after another. Uh, not all of them have been translated, and not all of them were in print. So, uh, but I bought those that I could, and and borrowed those that w- were available. And and in you know, just the space of a couple of years, I pretty much finished everything I could get my hands on, and uh, and then I uh, moved to the. Uh, 
uh, I had to basically go to the National Library to read what was still available in Icelandic, but was out of print. And I spent uh, for, for, for quite a, quite some time, I spent every Saturday morning there with my father reading these uh, old titles. And, and even the library, you know, the reading room of the library wasn't even open for uh, anyone under the age of 16. And I was not 16 at the time. So uh, we had to, uh, I had to get my father to take out the books and then I would sneak, you know, read them without being stopped. So, uh, so it was, you know, a big adventure. And that was, that was pretty much my introduction to Christie. But actually, I, had, I, before I started reading the books, I remember I had seen some Christie movies on television. And I think the first one I saw was um, The Seven Dials Mystery, like an yeah. early 1980s TV movie. And I was, you know, I really liked that one. And and I think that was the first time I really heard of Agatha Christie. And I thought the the twist of that movie was so, and, and the book as well, was so clever that I, she sort of stuck in the back of my mind. And I thought, you know, I should probably try and get to know some more of her stuff. Mm. You said the first book you read was Evil Under the Sun. What was it about that one that kind of grabbed you, that kept you reading? I think it's, you know, partly the atmosphere and then... Yeah. Uh, uh, and you know Poirot as well. I mean, I, I you know I did a lot uh, a lot of translations and a lot of those were were Poirot books. And so I've always been. Uh, I think you know he was the the first character I I really got into, and then later on Miss Marple and and also Tommy and Tuppence. Mm. But I think it's the atmosphere of Evil Under the Sun and yeah. just you know this classic. It's a classic Christie with a limited cast of suspects on a you know in a, in a sort of. Uh, cutaway location, mm-hmm. uh, so really everything, and and also it's it's very clever. The the solution was was good. It is. It's a great solution. Almost impossible, <laughs> physically impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, as you just said, you've translated quite a lot of Christie's into Icelandic. What is important for you as a translator for this kind of work? Can you kind of take us through the process of what a translation, like what that process is for you? Yes. Uh, so first of all, I mean, I'm I'm often asked why I don't translate my own books into English, and the answer is always the same: that I think you should translate into your native language. So, uh, so I think the first, uh, I mean, I think the first step is you translate into into the you know, because you're rewriting the book really in your own language. So you have to have uh, full control of the language you are translating into, and. Uh, and 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 also, I mean, you are basically re- rewriting the book. I mean, you try and keep to the, uh, you, you stay faithful to the story, but you, but the Icelandic readers will be reading your, you know, your language and your your phrases. And uh, what I tried to do with my Christie translations at the time was to uh, to keep the language a little bit uh, old, uh, a little bit classic. So so people would still be in Christie's world uh, of the 30s or 40s. So uh, so I tried to stay away from very modern languages and uh, very modern phrases. And uh, and I think, you know, that I think works for Christie's book. And, but if you're doing like a contemporary thriller translation, it's a totally different, different mm. matter. Yeah. And so you've written a little bit about um, when you translated Lord Edward Dies, that that took you, was it 10 years? Um, 
I think, and, and you said that there was a particular word you kind of got hung up on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, do you want any spoilers or not? You, you can give all the spoilers you want. We are a spoiler friendly podcast. We just tell our listeners that there will be a spoiler. Yeah. So if, uh, if I'm going to go into that, I mean, I think I have to tell you a little bit about the, uh, uh, the solution, but not, not all of it, but, but yeah. It, I mean, the, the whole translation process of Lord Edsquidice didn't take me 10 years, but it took me maybe, it took me probably 10 years to uh, to get the courage to do it because it was always ah. high on my list because it was, uh, it's an early Poirot that had not been published in book form in Iceland uh, before. And I was trying to do as many Poirot books in my translation as possible. Um, uh, and not all of them have, I think, yet been done, but most of them now. Um, but there, there was, because I, you know, I loved the book and I'd read it of course before and, and there was, you know, one of the clues in the story and here comes the spoiler is the, uh, is the, is the, you know, the words he and she, where, uh, where, where he, she turns to he in a way. And, and, and these two words, you know, don't sound the same in Icelandic. So it was really, in a way, impossible to uh, to do the uh, clue properly mm. in a different language. And what I, you know, what I spent this time on while I was sort of trying to find a way to do this book was I looked up Scandinavian, like Norwegian, Swedish translations of this book, and I was trying to see if anyone had sort of come up with a with an idea uh, to do it properly in in translation, but it. In the end, it didn't really work out, and uh, I, you know, I still did the book, but I just had to do a footnote to explain the uh, the clue. But it's such mm-hmm. a vital clue in the story that uh, I really wanted to try and get it right. But uh, but and, you know, nevertheless, it's a fantastic story, and, and it was great fun to do it. But, uh, but I mean, but this was you know this was probably the biggest challenge I had with with translations. But others, I mean, I was quite young when I started doing this. I was seventeen for the first book, so. Uh, so there were a lot of surprises on the way. I, I remember uh, in the in the Christie books, people are always eating kidney pie. And yeah, for an Iceland, yeah. It's no idea what that was. <laughs> yeah, you're better off not knowing. Uh, yes, I guess I am. And uh, and you know, directly translated, it sounds very sort of <laughs> traumatic. You would not eat. <laughs> yeah. So that was one problem, you know, to try and get that across. I, you, know, I, I had really no idea what that was in, in effect. And uh, and another phrase that Christy used a lot was the, were the French windows. And and it took me a while to realize, you know, that these were actually doors, not windows. And and people kept walking out of windows. In yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's very confusing if you don't know what those are. Yeah. But sort of, I little by little, <laughs> I started to grasp these these concepts. That's so interesting. Now, so you talked a little bit about how you kind of tried to take on more of the old-fashioned language to keep the books in their proper time. As a translator, do you ever come up against words or concepts that you kind of try to change a little bit because like they won't suit a modern reader or do you try to stay as true to the book as you can? Yeah, I mean it's been a while since I did these books, but I mm-hmm. think there may have been like a few instances where you know you would sort of uh, try to phrase the, you know, to use, uh, you know, proper phrases in, you know, for a for a modern reader. 
Yeah. I think he would sort of stay away from very from language that would be uh, that would be difficult to read nowadays. And we know, you know, there are of course some instances of that in the books, but uh, mm -hmm. specifically, I don't think there was anything that sort of was very problematic in the books yeah. that I did not I can recall. But uh, but you try and stay true to the story, of course. But I think translators would maybe like uh, have a little bit of leeway in, in in sort of modernizing the phrases. Sure, and and certain phrases I would imagine don't mean the same thing in an Icelandic context that they would in an English one. Absolutely, and so I mean I think no translator really does like a word for word translation. Right. I mean it's always about the context out there and ma making the text sound good in in the new language, and um, so I think yeah I think that's really the the mission of a, of a good translation. Yeah, you've written that. Translating Christie really helped you with your own crime writing. What is it about translating that gives you insight into the writing process? So first of all, I mean, it's just a structure of a story. Yeah. And and you have translated a book or even, you know, like I did uh, quite a few books. It's sort of, it gives you like a, uh, you know, almost like the courage to do a story of your, of your own because... You've you've seen through the you've seen through the magic a little bit mm -hmm. because if you read a novel and and you just enjoy it as a reader, I mean it is a bit magical and it's it's hard yeah. to see how the author, author and 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 you know from start to finish. Uh, but in the translation process, you really you 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 have to go into every single word and 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 suddenly the structure sort of becomes. A little bit more clear than it would mm. if you were just reading your own enjoyment. Yeah, and and so I think she taught me that. In and you know you learn instinctively the structure and the uh, and you see that this can be done. I mean, you can if you can sit down and and translate the whole book. I mean, theoretically, it, it could take you about the same time to, to write your own book. And so you so you see basically that this is possible. I mean, a whole novel is not an impossible project to finish. And and also, I mean, I think she influenced the way uh, my books, uh, the, the length of my books, because I tend to write shorter books than probably most Scandinavian authors do. Mm. And I think that's the direct Christian influence, because when I started writing my first book, I just went to, the, to my translations on my computer. And I looked up, you know, how many words is a, is a crime novel? And Agatha Christie was the benchmark, basically, because I had all these documents and I could see that, you know, uh, there was some target length that I could reach, and 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 for that reason, my books are sort of relatively short, more like a golden age, age length, and um, and I'm and you know, and on top of that, of course, just by reading Christie and translating Christie, uh, she has taught me a lot about plotting, obviously, and and yeah. setting. I mean, he. Both, she was fantastic at both, you know, selecting a setting that's very, very memorable, and 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 the plotting. And you know, some people have said that she has taken all the best, uh, she has used all the best twists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To an extent, that is correct. I mean, she has, you know, many of the best, but yet most simple twists have, have been used by Christie, and the beauty of the. Uh, as my friend, I think you had him on your on your podcast a while ago. John Curran once said, 
to me that you know the the beauty of Christie's plots is that you can usually explain them in just one short sentence. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated, just brilliant. That's true. Yeah, it's almost an elevator pitch of a novel. Yeah. Yeah. How many times would you say when you start out to do a translation, how many times do you read the book through before you dive into the actual translation? Like how familiar with the plot and its turns do you need to be and its language before you actually dive into the element of like the work of translating? So when I started, I was, as I say, I was just a teenager, so I had no idea what, would, what <laughs> yeah. was the protocol for this. So I have to admit the first book I did, I just did it as I, you know, I, I was reading it for the first time while I was doing the translation. Oh, wow. That's tough. Freestyle translation. That's impressive. It was, yeah. And I mean, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun for me as well. And, but most of them I had, you know, when I did a few more, uh, most of them I had read before, but not mm. many times, you know, mm -hmm. usually the only ones before. So I think that is, that is fine. I think you can, you can pretty much get away with, with just uh, translating from the from the first, you know, just reading and translating at the same time. I think some people actually do that even. Oh, yeah. So w you've done quite a lot of Christie's now, but is there a book that you are keen to tackle in the future? And is are there any that you are like, I'm never going to tackle that one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was keen to do like uh, Curtain, the last one. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, please. But, uh... <clears throat> But since I start, stopped translating and started writing, uh, someone else actually did that into Icelandic. So, I, okay. so that it's not something I need to do. So I, you know, that was. I don't think there is any any Christie that I'm I'm dying to do. But I would mm -hmm. love to do uh, a few more if I if I had the time. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I just uh, I just did a, uh, my first translation project in in more than a decade last or this year when I was doing. Uh, a translation of a play, not a Christie play, but a play for the National Theatre here in Iceland. And and so to do like maybe a mystery play in translation might be nice. Mm. Um, I mean, the the book, that, the book that I probably would not do is the last one, The uh, Postin of Fate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, that's the, uh, that was the last Christie book I, I read. Uh, you know, I had read all of them before, but this one was the one that I sort of, uh was was not too keen to read yeah it's it's not her best book obviously and uh no i think that there are more there are titles that have not been translated yet that should probably come first okay and do you of the ones you've translated do you have a favorite like translation not not necessarily a favorite book but like the one you've had the most fun translating oh uh I mean, I did Death on the Nile, which was which had not been done in Icelandic before, and I was quite proud of that because that's a brilliant book. Uh, and the first one I did was was Endless Night, and that's also uh, uh, that's also has like a place in my heart because it was the first one I did. But it's not it's not my favorite Christie book, but it's uh, it's a very good one, a very good late late Christie. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I sort of, I had a lot of fun with, with all of them. And I did a few short stories as well. I mean, The Adventure of the Christmas Pudding was one that I really liked. Mm, that's a really fun one. Um, so obviously you are a crime writer as well, and you write more in kind of like the Nordic noir genre. Um, 
which is kind of its own, you know, the Iceland and the, the Nordic region has developed this genre and it's a lot darker, I would say, than Christie's work typically. How do you think in terms of like how Christie is received in Iceland and maybe across Scandinavia, how do you think she fits in in terms of like the types of crime books that people typically like to read? Yeah, I think Christie is, is, is usually quite widely read in Scandinavia. And mm. uh, I mean, a lot of people start with Christie uh, on their way, you know, from, from young adult books or, or children's books on their way to reading uh, other types of literature or other types of crime fiction because she's easily accessible and, mm -hmm. and, and widely available. And so I think she's really well loved in Scandinavia and, and, and as, you know, as pretty much everywhere. And, uh, and if a book is, you know, if people hear that a book has sort of Christie elements to it, I mean, it starts to, uh, you know, you know what you're getting and, you know, and most people would sort of, in a way, like it. And mm -hmm. uh, and I think she has, uh, I think she has been a great influence on a lot of authors in, in one way or, or another. And um, mm -hmm. speaking of like Scandinavian crime, specifically, we had, we had uh, Stieg Larsson mm -hmm. like 10 years ago or more or who uh, whose books really broke through into into the US and the UK and, and everywhere and uh, the first one in his trilogy I think was very much a, uh, a nod to Christie I mean it was it was very much in you know in parts a book that Christie could have written I mean in parts it was, it was violent and, and and modern but in parts it was like an old-fashioned detective story with a, with a limited you know, list of suspects, yeah. uh, uh, a closed environment. Um, so I think, so I think, you know, her influence has created some stars in uh, mm. in Scandinavia. But of course, some of them are writing something completely different, much much sure. darker and much more realistic. But mm. uh, for me, I, I mean, I usually try to write books that I would like to read. Mm -hmm. So I think there's always a bit of Christian in what I would do what I would yeah. write. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting because, um, I think Christy has been kind of backed into this corner of like cozy mysteries. And I do, I, I understand why people call them that. And I, I find them to be comforting as like, as my reading, but a lot of her books are not that cozy. And I think revisiting that title might be worthwhile. Um, because, there's an in particular books like there's really a sense of evil that pervades that I think is not very cozy and um that can definitely be a progenitor of any type of mystery um including the Nordic noir genre I think uh I mean I think you're right I mean I I would not call Christie's book cozy uh in the way that uh that term is used for for mysteries now I mean I, I think they're definitely comforting to read and I agree with you Mm. That if you you know if I've had a, a difficult day and just want to you know wind down uh, a Christie book is, is is the most comforting book you can read uh, yeah. because it opens up this world of of uh, this imagined imagined world where everything is is so quiet and yet so interesting. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of darkness in these stories and and, uh, and many of them. I mean, it's 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 all about good and evil and. And, you know, it, it, even though there's maybe not a lot of violence in the books, there is a lot of, um, I mean, the, the motives behind the, the many of the crimes are very dark and, yeah. and 
uh, yeah, I think she, yeah. I mean I think she has uh, she gets uh, you know more and more credit for that uh, in recent years. Yeah, I agree. I mean I think she was considered to be very sort of dated, and then people realized that was not the case at all. Yeah, and we've seen in in some of the modern adaptations as well that people are sort of you know showing us some more of the darkness i mean there is a lot of depth i agree in books. i agree and i think for me what that depth is is really like the exploration of the mundanity of evil which is that it can appear in saint mary mead it can appear at mm. your you know your summer house it can appear in your holiday like these regular places that we all are that is where evil lurks um and i think that is kind of the most troubling or pervasive element that you know takes away that that cozy feeling i guess yeah, yeah, and some of the some of the murders in her books are, you know, are, are really evil in a way. I mean, it's not accidental killings that someone's trying to cover up. It is premeditated, and it is mm-hmm. yeah, it is dark. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that's a good place to dive into the book we're going to talk about today, which is Murder on the Links. Um, I am going to give a little historical note, and then I'm going to uh, turn it over to you for your synopsis. So. Uh, Murder on the Links was published in the U.S. and U.K. in 1923 after its initial serial publication in Grand Magazine through uh, 1922 and 23. It is the second Poirot and Hastings book after The Mysterious Affair at Stiles in 1920. Uh, The book was closely based on an actual French murder case of the time. There have been a few TV and radio adaptations, including the ITV Poirot with David Suchet and Hugh Fraser as Arthur Hastings. Uh, And I just want to say I talk a lot on the podcast I know about how much I love David Suchet as Poirot, because I do, but I don't think I've spoken enough about how much I love Hugh Fraser as Arthur Hastings. Um, he's really charming, he's sweet, he's funny, and the chemistry between Suchet and Hastings is just, um, and, and Fraser rather, is really fantastic. So as much as David Suchet kind of imbues Poirot, I think, with a humanity that sometimes doesn't appear on the page, Hugh Fraser gives Hastings a kind of sense of personhood. Uh, that we don't always get from the books because Hastings is our window. Um, so that's that. Uh, critical reception of the book was fairly good with comparisons to Sherlock Holmes. Um, it's not considered one of Christie's best works today, but uh, which Robert Barnard chalks up to the ending in which, quote, ingenuity triumphs over common sense, end quote. So that's our little note on Murder on the Links. Um, Ragnar, will you give us a one minute or so synopsis of Murder on the Links? Yes. Uh, so as you said, I mean, it is the, the second Poirot and Hastings book. And so it's an early Christie and it's set in, in the UK, but mostly in the north of France, mm-hmm. where, where Poirot is, uh, you know, goes uh, to investigate. And, and when he goes there, he, uh, the, the crime he's, he's investigating is the death of a, of a man who is found dead in an open grave on a golf course. Uh, so that is sort of the basic concept at the start of the story with some you know quite fantastic setting and a, a cast of characters and also this is quite well known by Christie fans as the book where, where Hastings falls in love and, and Agatha Christie tries to get rid of him you know <laughs> yeah. uh, for the you know for the first time at least and uh, thankfully he, this was not his final book uh, yeah. with Poirot but uh, um, but basically it's an early Poirot and Hastings, and it has, you know, a lot of, a um, lot of the early charm of of this this fantastic series. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
That was a lovely synopsis. So yeah, I, I um I agree with you that I'm very glad that Hastings was not booted off to Argentina quite so quickly. Um, so why did you choose Murder on the Links as your book? So yes, uh, I, I as I mentioned before, uh, when I was reading Christie for the first time, I had to find some of the titles in the National Library in Iceland. Uh, this old reading room in a, in a lovely old building downtown in Reykjavik and and one of these books was you know was this one was the murder on the links which was published in uh in icelandic in the 1940s i think mm. and was you know in 1941 for the first time i was out of print so this so they i have very strong memories of reading this book in this old library you know it's fantastic old desks with green cloths and 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 green leather seats and and just you know me alone with with a book uh, and it probably took me a few weekends to get through the whole book mm -hmm. um, it might have been that i was trying to get through it before the uh, the series was shown but maybe maybe not maybe that was later but uh but at least this is one of the books that i very fondly remember reading uh from this this place and and so that is one of the reasons why i love it because mm -hmm. you know often the way you remember books is is partly based on where you read them yeah um but having said that i mean i think it is still a fantastic story uh uh i mean i love poirot and hastings together and mm -hmm. uh there are not many books with with the two of them and uh, especially not like an you know an early one where where we are seeing the characters being built up and 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 the atmosphere is so so classic it's so very very golden age i mean it's a 1920s story <clears throat> around the same time that you know as ellery queen uh the cousins were doing the Ellery, first ellery queen mysteries uh ss van dyne was doing the first file of Vance mysteries it is it is really you know i think this is really a, a strong decade for for golden age you know the mid and early 20s yeah so uh and also i mean i think the setting plays a part in a way i mean it is an exotic setting for for a british crime mystery uh um and of course hastings you know hastings falling in love is is a bit charming as well yeah i was gonna say because so this isn't this isn't really one of my reread books. Like I, I have kind of a, you know, quite a few uh, Christie's that I reread a lot and this isn't one of them, but I was so glad that you asked me to do this book because rereading it, I remembered how charming I find it. And the charm is totally wrapped up in the romance between Hastings and Cinderella. Um, and I, I don't typically find Christie romances to be super convincing, but I find this one to be really convincing and really lovely. What do you think about the romance? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, uh, I think it is quite lovely, as you say, and and it is like a, it is a theme throughout Christie's mysteries. There yeah. is always, it's almost always like some sort of romance that is uh, uh, a part of the the whole solution. I mean, there is usually some some romantic engagement at the end of the stories that you know mm -hmm. that you saw coming or not uh sometimes it's almost like a, a twist um but i think we i think we 
probably relate to this one more than the others because it's Hastings and it because yeah. it's a it's a character we love, not just you know a single use a single use character. But uh, yeah. Uh, but I think yeah, I think she does this you know very well, and I think she probably enjoyed doing the romance part of the stories. Yeah, and I also think Cinderella is a great character because she's not kind of the typical um, like overly twee adventurous girl that we find in some of the other twenties, like more like adventure novels. Um, she's very, she's actually quite complicated, um, and is has her full complexity given to her and, and allows Hastings to see her in that full complexity. And I, I really like that about the romance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a, it's a great character. Yeah. Um, so for me, this book has always been quite a lot about like cementing Hastings as a character. I think his goofiness, his love of auburn haired women, which we encounter again and again, um, his never fails to be wrong at, you know, guesses, um, what do you think makes Hastings an interesting character, despite the fact that he is kind of meant to be a bit of a dum dum? I, I mean, I I like a book with a with a you know a good narrator, and mm -hmm. I think he, I mean, he shows us Poirot in a in a different light, uh, be, because there is this sort of there is almost this strain between them. I mean, he is he loves Poirot, but he is a little bit envious of him as well and a little mm -hmm. bit annoyed as well in a way, in a friendly way and uh so i think he he brings out the best in in poro mm -hmm. uh, and i mean obviously he's in a way it's based on sherlock holmes and, and watson and i think that is probably one of the reasons why christy tried to move away um to do something that was you know she may have found more original than uh than this, you know, narrator detective relationship. But I mean, I think it was. Uh, I mean, I think she should have stuck with him for more books because he. I mean, it is a lovely. Uh, it's a lovely relationship that they have, and mm. and I think he gives Poirot more depth. And uh, and and you know, when they did the David Suchet and Hugh Fraser uh, series, I mean, they obviously picked up on that, <clears throat> and yeah. so they used him a lot, lot more than than. Then uh, you would have, you know, if you if you only see if you only seen the series and not read, read the books, you would you probably think that he's on all of the yeah exactly. You think he's a constant. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also, as you say, he's he's a great counterpart to Poirot in that he he humanizes him. Um, you see a friendship and what that looks like for Poirot, who's a very loyal person. Um, and you also, it, it also gives great comic relief. I mean, I think Hastings is really funny and the way Faro talks to him is often very funny. Um, and I would also say, I mean, you mentioned Curtin earlier, the the most profound book, I, I love reading Curtin and I think it's an incredible book and it's so profound because it really close, like, closes the loop on, on a lifelong relationship. Um, and Hastings and Faro's relationship is, uh, very beautiful in that way. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they're a great pair. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and Curtin is a, is a fantastic book. And I mean, even though I pick pick this one as you know as my my favorite in a way, I mean, I doesn't really mean that it it's necessarily the best book. I mean, obviously, sure. CD, uh I mean, obviously, the murder of Roger Ackroyd is a, is a groundbreaking yeah. detective story and probably. 
by all definitions your best book and and then the one on as well is is another one that is absolutely brilliant yeah. in, in construction and curtain even i mean curtain is uh, is truly one of her best books as well as uh, as you say i agree and it's interesting a lot of people have told me that they won't read curtains um because they don't want to you know they don't want Poro to die, uh, which I think is such an interesting take because, um, you know, he's he's a character, so you can just go back in time to any book and he's there. Um, time is a flat circle, <laughs> so say. But uh, I think that's like an interesting take that they wouldn't want to read it because it is it is such a worthy book. I think of his of what happens in the book. I think it it really is the greatest ending they could that Christie could have given him. Yeah, I, I agree, and I mean, I I have to say I put off reading curtain for many many years you and it did. was one of the last yeah for that same reason i mean it was one of the last christies i you know i read for the first time and it's not many years ago that i actually you know read it to the end mm-hmm. and that was this you know this reason uh, it's it was like this hidden treasure that you just wanted to to keep and and and, and save and also you you don't want Poro to die obviously yeah of course so moving on to maybe not such a nice character, um, I find Giraud, who is kind of the the French detective, um, to be a really fascinating foil to Poirot in this book. Uh, Poirot doesn't typically work like in opposition to the police, except for in a couple of instances, um, like the ABC murders comes to mind. But what do you think Giraud is meant to show us, like show the readers about Poirot? I mean, I think it's supposed to be, uh, you know, it's supposed to show us the... Uh, the different types of of detection techniques yeah. and 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 he is more of the you know traditional policeman uh you know, crawling around looking for clues uh yeah. that you know the type of policeman that that Poirot really can't stand yeah uh because he feels that he should just you know sit down and 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 think the story you know think the plot through and and figure it out that way and not look for clues and yeah so I think that in a way that is, you know, it's supposed to show us that Poirot is a different type of of detective, more yeah. of the, you know, Holmes type. But I mean, it's probably also like just uh, a reflection of, uh, you know, different nationalities, different jurisdictions. We have this, you know, Belgian detective from, from England coming into France and, you know, into someone else's territory. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, so this is a very... <laughs> early Christie mystery. In what ways do you think this is kind of a good example of her work? And in what ways do you think her work diverges in later books? I mean, I think this is a very good example of for an early Christie. And and for me, it's, it's a better book than the first one. I mean, although Styles is a, it's a brilliant debut. I think people may tend to forget, you know, how, how accomplished it is as as a debut, but uh, I think this one is even better. And, and, probably one of the best you know uh, except for the for murder of roger Ackroyd from the first decade of her, of her work and uh, and it is like it is the it's like a definitive detective story it has you know it has clues it has uh, a detective his his you know his narrator and his uh, his limited group of suspects in a in a in an interesting location and and it's all about the uh, it's all about the mystery and the detection, and it's it's a very much a golden age detective story. Mm. 
but I think obviously Christy, you know, developed her style and uh, you know what she wanted to do in 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 later years. And I mean, she she definitely managed to uh, almost perfect the uh, this format, this this detective story format in the next. 10 to 20 years and then she moved into like a little bit more realistic uh stories mm. even you know with some thriller elements or some modern uh critique of you know of of contemporary society in a way as well so so as Poro grew older and and lost hastings um the stories became a bit different and you know so it depends on taste which mm. which era you like best. But then yeah. it all all together with curtain. But obviously that was written much earlier as well. So yeah. that brings us brought us really back to the detective story classics classic that she could do. That's right. Are you are you a puzzle reader? Like when you were reading them, were you trying to figure out the ending, or do you just enjoy the ride? No, I, absolutely. I'm trying to figure out the ending. I mean, you I think that's okay. that. Yeah. And that is what has, you know, uh, that's what what's drawn me to to the Golden Age stories and and to writing crime fiction as well. It's just, you know, the joy of the puzzle. It's almost like a, in some ways, it's almost like a mathematical, you know, challenge to try and, you know, see things and try and figure out where the author is trying to fool you and 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 get there ahead of him or, or her. Uh, but usually, I mean, Christy usually got the better of me. I mean, I think the very, very few instances that I can remember where I got some or part of the solution um, before I, I read it, and um, and and it is. I mean, she she does it brilliantly, and it's always <clears throat> she always plays very fairly with the reader. Yeah, that's true. Which I also appreciate. So, uh, so I, I mean, I think you can read it as a. As completely you know just for the enjoyment of it and when you reread them i mean obviously that's what you're doing because you may know the ending but you know for the first time i think you definitely mm -hmm. you know want to compete with poirot or marple and, and and you know try and figure it out and when yeah. i was younger i used to like write down the names of the characters and you know just keep a list and, and try and get into this properly you were part of the detective club uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute yeah i was i was never i just liked the ride um and i have a, a kind of shocking almost ability to forget who did it in my rereadings i've like managed to still be surprised 20 years into reading these books sometimes which is doesn't speak well to my memory but um yes i mean most of them i know by now but every once in a while i start reading one and i go oh my god i actually cannot remember how this ends because the setup is always so good, you know, it, it lays things out and you kind of start, your mind starts going in a million different directions. Yeah, I know. And that's, I mean, there are, you know, every now and then I find an old Christie book that I, I reread because I, I honestly can't remember exactly the ending. And, but yeah. these are few and far between and, and usually these are not the best books because the best the iconic stories are so, you know, the, the, the plots are so brilliant that you really can't, can't forget them. I think that's true. Yeah, it tends to be the, like, the kind of, the more obscure ones that I can't remember always. Um, that's true. I do remember my point now. <laughs> I was 
going to make about Jiro, which is that I think he also provides a really interesting contrast to Poro's ego, um, which is always so on display. I mean, Poro is an egotistical character, but Jiro's whole thing is throughout the process, he wants to be seen as brilliant every step of the way, whereas Poro doesn't care if anyone thinks he's an idiot throughout the entire case, as long as by the end he has the answer and blows them all away. He kind of likes pulling that on people. Um, so I think that was also like an interesting contrast of egos, like how ego can actually affect your work um, if you can kind of save it to the end. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that was my great point that I, I finally pulled out of the air. Um, anyway, well, so w I think this is a great place to end. And w you have written so many books yourself, not just translations, obviously your own books. Where can people, would you like to be found by the people and where can they find you? If so. Oh, where can they find me? Uh, oh, everywhere on, on social media. They can yeah. find me on Instagram. I think Instagram. that's the best place. Yeah. Okay. And so, you have a website as well. Um, yes. So, uh, the website is just my name. Mm -hmm. com. Okay. We'll have that in the episode notes. Very complicated. And, uh, and the social media. And is there, if there's a book like that you recommend people start with of your books, what would it be? So I think I'll, I'll go for a, a couple. One of one of them is the darkness, which is the one that's being uh, done for, for for television. So that should be out next year in in, in English uh, mm. as a series. So, uh, so if you want head start, you could read that one. Um, the other one is called Snowblind, and that's probably one of the most Christie-esque mysteries I've done. And that's set in like this small town in in northern Iceland mm -hmm. uh, by a snowstorm. So. Yeah. So it's very Christy. It's really great. I recommend everyone read it. But we'll have all of those links uh, in the episode notes. And uh, thank you so much for chatting with me tonight. This was really fun, and I hope you had a good time. Yeah, I mean, I it, speaking about Agatha Christie is always such a pleasure for me. So I mean, <laughs> me too. <good> time. <laughs> That's why I do this podcast. Amazing. Well, thank you again, and I hope you have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks, Agnes. Bye. podcast is produced by Kate Crishell with sound engineering by Winter Robinson. Our next episode features at Bertram's Hotel. Hooray! This will be our last episode of season two, so thanks for listening and reading along. We'll be back in two weeks. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.